In part two of this interview, Coach Pointer tells some funny stories about her teammates at Rutgers, how Coach Stringer handled the Don Imus situation, her Final Four experience as a player, how her family allows her to be the best mom that she can be, and much, much more. Take a listen. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. My bigger goals is to always have great relationships with my brothers. I have four brothers. I don't have any sisters. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You got four brothers? Four brothers. Four brothers. Four brothers. So back in the day, were they whooping you or were they like, like, what, did, oh, like what was man. like, the, hold on, we got to stop. E, okay, Go okay. Back yeah, to you, four brothers. I know you had four, four brothers. brothers. I knew you had one or two. I know you no, had four. Four brothers. Four. And I'm next to the youngest. So oh. I have a younger brother. And three older. Wow. So there they was. You could have had no boyfriend nothing back right, then. Right, right. <laughs> <That's, laughs> yeah, they were uh, bad boys with uh, uh, Martin oh, Lawrence yeah. at the, at at the, the door. door. Hey, that was her brother. <laughs> hey, who, you, who are you? Who, Where are you going? Listen, my <laughs> brothers were serious. Mm. And I used to have to fight them, like fist fights. Wow. So my, there's one brother in particular, Johnny. What up, and Johnny? He used to really get underneath my skin. So he always knew when I was getting ready to swing at him. Mm. But like, he knew it because I used to bite my lip. And it was like <laughs> on. Like that was, he knew it. Game on. And he would press those buttons, right? But he really taught me how to be tougher because he never, he never let me live because I was a girl. A girl. Mm. I wanted to follow him. So in Chicago, we have something called alleys. It's, it's the... Like you, the street behind the house. Yes, the, the alley cats that, and stuff. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. New, York, New Yorkers, they know about that. No, no, we don't actually. Stuff, yeah. uh, that property is too uh, important for money purposes. <laughs> so we don't have any alleys in New York. <laughs> Sorry, we're trying to make a dollar. You know, Dave, soon you know we're gonna be paying for air. <laughs> soon we will be paying for air. Dave, you know that is a true point. Hey, in New York, you do not have alleys. No you, alleys. yes, yes, you ain't never told a story. That, you know that's really interesting. But I'll tell you that my brothers challenged me. I couldn't go hang out with them and their friends mm -hmm. unless I kept my mouth closed and I worked. Mm. So whatever I wanted to do with them, I couldn't run home and act like a little girl. My, but my, but this mm. happened. I had to learn how to flip. I had to learn how to ride dirt bikes. I had to learn how to play baseball. Like, Bike life? I had to learn how to do it all. What? Because that was the only way you can keep up with the boys, right? right. And I thought I was just one of the guys. Like, hey, uh, well, I'm going to keep up with them. So that's where I get a lot of my, my toughness from. Because when you grow, grow up with brothers, you don't get to say, ah, oh, well, I'm a girl, so you know, you got to take it easy on me. That was never the excuse. Mm -hmm. They never accepted that. And so they taught me that, hey, quitting is not an option. Mm -hmm. Never. Like to this day, when I talk to them mm -hmm. and even them with their wives, it's, hey, so what'd you do? How'd you make the magic happen? What was the workaround? Oh, you stopped? Oh, I know you were soft like that, Tasha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you used to be the only girl with Man. all the boys. What? <laughs> So my brothers never gave me excuses. That's why I don't come with any. Yes, yes. You took that same mentality when you went to college and you was going up against the creme de la creme of women's basketball. And so when you're playing, it's like, I done already been there, done that. So when you on the course, like, I ain't going to take it easy on y'all because y'all girls. I'm coming to get y'all lunch. I'm coming, to, I'm coming to dog you out. You know what For I'm sure. saying? So that's, that mentality is what you display on the court. Yeah, so one of my brothers, he actually um, played professional football in the Canadian Football League. Okay. So before I went to Rutgers my freshman year, he, he gave me one piece of advice. He said, whatever you do, you don't quit. You figure out a song that you can remember and you run to that song. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you have to jog. Just keep going. Don't ever quit. And I promise you, I took that to heart and I never quit. When it got so tough and I felt like I was not going to make it, he was like, just pass out because 
you'll pass out before you die, which means that coach understand that you gave it your all. Mm-hmm. I never passed out and I never quit. Mm. And that carried me through. <laughs> never wow. passed out, never quit. And he said, stay hydrated. So I know you've seen players during your, the players now are a lot different 15 years ago, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. X amount of time. I want to date you, coach. Uh, X amount of time when you were back playing. So when you say, like, pass out, you got to you pass out before you die. Yeah. Give me some stories of some players you've seen that, you know, was run to that trash can or <clears throat> didn't accept the, uh, quote, unquote, fee- feedback forward that you talked about from Coach Stringer. Like, give me some uh, examples of some teammates you had. Look, I'm not shouting any names, yeah, but there name is no one names. particular practice that stands out to me. Okay. And we, Coach just had us running, right? That's, <laughs> that's what coaches do, right? Just have you running, have you running. And this teammate literally started, like, um, rocking from right to left. And I was looking at it, I was like, oh, it's like something's not going right. And so you could tell. So then her eyes start fluttering. Uh And so like now we're like, hold up. (laughs) Like, because now this is a shock for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Because we didn't see it going there. And so basically before she passed out, Mm -hmm. like somebody grabbed her, right? Mm -hmm. And we were like, oh, (laughs) she came to. And we were like, man. Like, you got to get better hydrated. <laughs> Listen, because you can still go, like, for real, being hydrated is half the battle at right. the collegiate level, yeah, right? Absolutely. No, no coach, for real, like, in doing all of this, no coach can run you to death. To death, no. Right. Like, for real. But to these players, it feels like death. It feels Today's that, players. To, right. Today's right. player, feel, they feel that way. Mm-hmm. But in reality is... A coach can't run you to death. Right. Like, if you're not hydrated, and oftentimes what happens, a lot of athletes like to come to practice with nothing on their stomach, mm-hmm. and they're not hydrated. Mm-hmm. So the more they go, they have nothing. So they're already behind. I just, I still see my teammate. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Man, you got to be better hydrated. <laughs> like, what, what else do you say to that? Because literally the next day she was practicing. Like it never happened. As if it never happened. And let me tell you something. She never had that same issue again. Because it was a lesson for her because I think it scared her too. Okay. Well, I know I know that you were always... But high. we went to the Final Four that year. And I will say this. It's because it was moments like that where the team, we the team told her, man, you got to be better hydrated. We need you. Mm. We were a player-led team mm. and no longer a coach-led team. Mm. Just talk that talk about the Final Four, just what it's like, because everybody hears about the Final Four every year. Everybody, you know, it's the Final Four, it's the, the big lights, it's the, the uh, motorcade, the police escorts, the yes. gifts, the tournament gifts. You know, people Ooh. don't understand the work that you have to put in. You're talking about players damn near dying almost in practice. So talk about this, what like, we thought was what we, death. What but we thought was death. Ultimately, you know wasn't. Uh, but let's talk that. Talk about hydrate to get you some uh, electrolytes, <laughs> some Gatorade, some Powerade, and <laughs> call it one. Um, what I will say, having competed in the Final Four, the Elite Eight game is probably the most difficult game because either it's a blowout or it's extremely competitive, mm. right? Most Elite Eight games, they're either blowouts, complete blowouts. Mm. And some of that is some people get so in their own heads, like, oh, like we're one game away from the Final Four where all eyes are on just four teams. Mm-hmm. At the Women's Final Four, <laughs> they always say, and I'm sure they probably do this at the Men's Final Four, and then there were four. Oh, yeah, then they do. Yeah, yeah, then there were four. That is, like, that just gave me, like, goosebumps. Wow. And then there were four. So that means all eyes are on you, right? Mm. But when you go to compete in the Elite Eight, you know that, like, money on the wood. Mm. I can tell you that I was personally, like, I couldn't even sleep the night before the game. Wow. I was a wreck. (laughs) But let me tell you. But you was hydrated. I was hydrated. (laughs) Check this out. I will tell you I was such a wreck. But my teammates didn't know. And only my roommate knew I was a wreck. Mm. And she really didn't 
like she didn't even know the magnitude of it. See, they got words for it now. You know, you're really anxious. Mm. You know, you have anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me tell you. There wasn't no anxiety back then. Huh? Back then it was. <laughs> Oh, you pumped up. You, <laughs> right. you ready to go. Ready to go. So look, my roommate was sleeping. It's like five o'clock in the morning. I can't I can't even sleep. Look. So listen, I'm like, man, can't go downstairs because then people think you were out partying. Mm, Wrong person catch you outside. Right. Then the coach has to make a decision. Right. Coach, you ain't gotta make a decision on me because like coach, I'm ready. So I'm gonna stay in my room. I have a roommate, so you can't turn on the light. Cause mm-hmm. now you're not being a good roommate. I went to the bathroom. I grabbed a newspaper. Let me read. Let me just <laughs> read. Let me, let me get my thoughts together. But let me not be selfish enough to turn on the lights. Because if I, my roommate, she need her rest too. Because I need her to get these buckets. Let's go. So if I'm in the bathroom, I'm controlling my own thoughts. I'm playing out the narrative in my own head. And I'm... Back in the day, you used to read USA Today, right? Mm-hmm. That was the yeah. free paper in the right. hotel, in the Marriott, right. or something like that. So when you get ready to play against the best, other people are ready to play against you too. Mm. And so you have to come mentally ready before you even get to the game. Mm. For us, we knew that we were a Final Four team long before the season started. Wow. So part of our marketing slogan was checkmate. Mm. Checkmate, chessboard, we already knew, talk that talk. And, and we knew, check this out, we knew the destination was Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So during the season, we had hit a little bump in the road. Let me tell you something. We were playing against Villanova. Coach Stringer took us to the arena. This is where the Final Four is going to be. Somehow she got us in the arena. This is where we are playing. Wow. Listen, the lights were out. I'll never forget. We went to the floor. I said, ooh. So for some people, they could envision it. Other people couldn't. Mm. For those who could, I was like, whoa. That's tough. And then you look around the arena, and at the time, like, you couldn't envision the fans being there. Mm. But I was trying to capture the moment. I was trying to feel like, yes, like, in this moment, I'm going to see all these fans. Like, whose face can I um, picture? Who, Like, who can I touch? What would help me feel like I have already been there long before I get there? Wow. And I think that because our team was experienced and because – Coach Stringer had already given us the blueprint. Mm. She took us to the arena and was like, hey, this is where we're going. It was nothing else left to, wow. but to do it in Oregon. Like, that was it. Like, mm. that's all we knew. Like, we literally knew, man. And I'll tell you, the commentators, we were watching because we had, like, the last game. Whenever the, the teams are out west, they play the last game, mm. right? So you know everyone else who's going to the Final Four. So the commentator was like, yeah, punch Georgia's ticket. You, we know it looks like they'll be going to the Final Four. We were so fired up. We were like, yeah, okay, Georgia going to the Final Four. We got something for that. Mm. And so we saw ourselves long before we got there. Mm-hmm. And I think that she painted the picture for us, but we also believed individually because we felt like we had been playing together for a couple years and once we got our signature program win against Connecticut my freshman year, it wasn't hard for us to believe by junior year. We had already played against some of the tougher competition. Coach Stringer always scheduled, like, the heavy hitters. When I say the heavy hitters, if we were ranked number 10, then we're going to go play number one, number three, number seven. Damn. Like, that was non-conference. Mm, damn. Don't run from it. I think that for us, we were young, we had some gritty players, and we had a chip on our shoulders. Because we felt like we should have been ranked. We weren't ranked, but we weren't producing either. Mm. We're just a bunch of young kids who had a dream. And once we were able to secure that signature program win, Mm. we knew that we belonged. Mm. You go from, well, do we really belong to, oh, no, no, no. We belong. So now, if you say you belong, then you got to work harder. Mm. You got to sweat more than other people. Mm, If you say, you got to sweat more than other people If that's what you say You want to do A lot of people Talk about it A lot of people Say they see themselves Being champions But they don't see themselves Doing the work You can't be a champion Without the work Like that's why I always say The work is the work Right You got to do the work And once you get past Or beyond the fact That the work is the work Then you will enjoy The process You'll enjoy the work And the wins The championships They will come you got a lot of championships. You got I a lot got of rings. You got, hey, like, what's that Drake song? Uh, uh, really big ring. 
I got a really big ring. They come, they come with a really big team. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. That's the remix. Coach at, in uh, Piscataway at Rutgers. Mm-hmm. I've actually been to a few games there, and I have never Word? seen... You've been yeah, on the banks? Yeah, I've been... Tell people about what it's like to play in the rack. Just talk about just being at Rutgers as, as a whole, just like what it embodies. Yeah, so the rack... Um, it's an interesting place. It looks like a spaceship, for real, <laughs> like a straight-up spaceship. Spot. Yes. Um, what I enjoyed about playing at the rack is that when fans would pack the stands, whenever we would press, it would feel like the fans are right on top of you. So Coach Stringer had her infamous 55 um, full-court pressure. And so whenever we started pressing, teams would just throw it away because it got so loud, and oftentimes we would press the second half, Right. So if we were pressing the second half because we were trying to come back or we were trying to put you away, mm-hmm. the fans were right on top of you, and we had something that they used to call baseline bums. Mm-hmm. So the baseline bums would be behind players clapping, standing up, you know, shouting in their ear. So you Probably feel Cameron like... Cameron Crazies kind of a little bit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except the Cameron Crazies, like there was a barrier. Right. Like the... Whatever it is, there was a barrier between the Cameron Crazies actually getting on the floor, mm-hmm. the baseline bombs, bombs could touch you. Wow. So now, 3-3,000, three, 4-4,000, three four, four you're trying to get the ball in, you hear <laughs> footsteps. <laughs> like, yo, oh, let me hear me just throw it. <laughs> so the rack that is pressure. a special and intimate spot. Um, I enjoy playing there. I thought it was everything. But I would say campus living was amazing at Rutgers. We have four different campuses. And so in New Brunswick... So the river divides um, the campuses. Mm. So two campuses are located um, in New Brunswick, and the other two are located in Piscataway. So Livingston and Bush are located in Piscataway. Mm. Um, College Ave and Cook Douglas located in New Brunswick. And so each campus is very unique. It's like having different flavors of ice cream. Mm. So... um, on Bush campus was the football stadium. And so a lot of, say, engineers hung out on Bush. Mm. Livingston, um, at times, is where it felt like it was an HBCU school or something mm. like that, right? But it had all of, like, the history, Paul Robeson and things mm. like that, right? On school co- days. For real. College Ave was more like the city feel where you felt like the lights were there. Okay. You can go get on a train, go into New York City from College Ave. <laughs> but then you had Cook Douglas. Um, so Cook, um, well, I say Douglas, all-female college within Rutgers University. And so it was just a different feel, different take with each uh, campus. And so you always felt like whatever flavor of the week you wanted, you, you could have. It. You mm, could find. That's amazing. And so I, I think that's what I remember most about um, my college experience in Rutgers. As a player, where did you like playing? Or was there a team that uh, you always felt like you had to bring it? Bro, we played in the old Big East. Right. Like, we played where the old Big East, Notre Dame, UConn, Georgetown. West Virginia, mm. Georgetown. Syracuse. Syracuse, Villanova. Um, that was, was the Miami Big East with the Big East. Miami was in the old Big East. Mm-hmm. Like, it was everyone in the Big East. So there were no days off, no plays off. St. John's, this is back in the day when St. John's wasn't well, John, They were the Johnnies back the then. The Johnnies back Jeez. then. You, 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 you like the, the Johnnies. The Red Men I'm back then. I'm just saying on the women's side. No, I got you. But, yeah, back when I was in school, Mike Jarvis was the head coach. So on the men's side, Ron Artest, you know, they were So would you say y'all, the, y'all had the best league back then? Without question. Without question. Both Without. on the men's and women's side or? Yeah, Dave. Sheesh. What? Look, think about this. The the old biggies, they always had the biggies tournament in the garden. Mm-hmm. Like that was the mecca, right? And everybody came to the biggies tournament. Everyone. It was like the place to go. Sheesh. But stars you, and everything. Everyone, Dave. But the hardest part, when the biggies dismantled and became all Catholic league schools, mm-hmm. it wasn't the same. Right. We know why. Yeah. Why? 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 Because greedy plays in. Uh, listen, anyway. Uh, <laughs> money talk, football money is feel, bigger than It is huge. Money, so. Huge. Yeah. 
So, Coach, you went from playing at the rack, playing in, you know, the Final Four. Uh, Hold on, one thing. We got to talk. Coach is trying to be modest here, y'all. Coach is the all-time NCAA leader in assists in the game, in the NCAA tournament. No, no, no. Don't shortchange her. 18 in the game. 18? That's that's on the men's. And women's side. Sheesh. So ain't nobody, ain't nobody, you know what coach is? Your new nickname, you a habitual dime dropper. That's what you are. Hey. Dropping dimes. Habitual dime dropper. Nobody, that record still stands today? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. She's in the history books, guys. We, we, we see, we're in the midst of greatness right now, literally. You know what? I will tell you this. What, game, still, what game was that? First round game against Stephen F. Austin, oh, if I'm Texas not mistaken. Team. Texas team. Yeah. Um, it was my teammates. Like, Every time I think about any type of records that I've ever, like, held, it's because of my teammates. Because people had to make shots. Mm-hmm. You can't drop off 18 dimes because you're not going to drop 18 dimes off of just layups, right? Mm-hmm. Especially at the collegiate level, NCAA tournament time, that's money time. Right. Folks have scouted you to death, right? Mm-hmm. I had teammates who were making shots. And I only look good because my teammates... Mm-hmm. They were bucket getters. Mm, like yes. they could get a bucket. Mm. It's not that hard when you when you're a guard. Most people want to play with the outstanding point guard because they know they'll get the ball. Mm. My teammates are sprinting the wings. Post, they're rim running. Mm. They know I got them. Don't worry about it. Mm. You stop running, or if I get upset, that means you just don't get the ball. So translation, everybody want to do what they need to do in order to get the ball. Right. Because people want to get a bucket. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why I feel like my stats. Look good because I had good teammates. The Don Imus situation. I know that you were removed from the program for a brief moment. You were coaching at other institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, That spring, Rutgers women's basketball was playing a national championship game against Tennessee, I believe. Um, Don Imus goes on air, says some things that basically are heard around the world and Mm -hmm. puts Rutgers not only in the spotlight for being at women's basketball, the national championship game, but they put them in light of other things negatively. Mm-hmm. And for me, 2007, I, I was in grad school at St. John's, actually. Mm-hmm. And as a black man, I just felt so connected to your to y'all's program. Mm-hmm. And I know two months, two or three months after that, you had the opportunity to go back mm-hmm. and be an assistant coach. So during that whole spring, summertime, 2007, even though you were moved from the program at that part, I'm still sure you were super connected to the program. Mm-hmm. And then coming back, what was, it, what was the, the feeling around Rutgers and Coach Stringer and everything being with the whole Don Iman situation? I thought it was uh, unique and really good because she stood up for her, her players. Mm. And not only did she stand up for her players, but she stood up for people of color. And so um, I'm happy to say this. So, for example, one of my sister-in-laws, she um, she works at Unilever, and so she was a part of the Crown Act that just took place in New Jersey. Well, make a long story short, it's for people of color who want to wear their hair however they want to wear their hair. Mm. Well, that's what Coach Stringer was speaking on back in 2007 when Don Imus made his remarks. I think that she was merely educating the masses. Mm. And so it wasn't that she was looking to educate the masses. The opportunity presented itself with her team. So it was her responsibility as the leader to educate Don Imus and everyone else that what you say matters. And so I don't think it's any different than what Muffet McGraw did when she spoke out about women and how we're still a part of being the first. I think it's our responsibility as coaches. You carry the mantle of being a teacher first and a coach second. So you have to educate and enlighten people where they are and also teach your team as you are coaching. And I think that Coach Stringer had that platform to do just that. But it it also brought awareness to words matter once again in 2007. And they double down matter. Words and how you judge somebody based upon how they wear their hair. Mm. Every culture is different. And so it's not to be taken for granted, but it's to be celebrated, embraced, and know that our differences make us extremely unique, but we're all connected in some form or fashion, and we all still bleed red. Mm. And so I thought she handled it, handled the situation remarkably, but she also modeled the behavior 
of this is what class integrity looks like because she did not reference Don Imus in a negative way. Mm -hmm. She only spoke about her team and what they stood for and the young women that they were. Mm -hmm. And so she gave her players a different platform to show the world this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I thought they made history with recognizing and being recognized by others as young women first and then the athletic part of things. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. I didn't really know too much about women's basketball, but I feel like when that happened, I was instantly ingrained with y'all's program from every other program around the country. Like I started paying more attention. So I really wasn't in the thick of things with women's basketball. But that situation, as unfortunate as it was at that time, it opened my eyes even more so because, number one, like I said a second ago, gave me a sense of pride of being a black person in America. Number two, it it showed how strong a black woman can be. Mm -hmm. Um, When Coach Stringer was in front of the microphone, she was crying. Like I I thought about that. I was like, damn, that's somebody's mom. Mm -hmm. That's somebody's sister. That's somebody's auntie. That's somebody's relative. And, like, I just felt so much pressure for her and not for her but the program itself because those kids you know they didn't really sign up for that you know but Mm -hmm. they were uh they were like in front of the cameras answering questions about that but not the the game that the now championship game they had just played in right and i just felt like there was so it was unfortunate and fortunate at the exact same time in the 2007 yeah and it's really changed everything landscape wise yeah you know so i just who signs up for like current events, like who signs up to change the world? Right. Like you don't sign up for it because most people will run away from history. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, what? Nah, not me. Like go holla at Dave. Right. But you have to embrace where you are. And when situations present themselves, you have to tackle the moment. You got to be ready. And I think that that's what Coach Stringer did. She tackled the moment, taught in the moment, and she was able to help build up other women of color. And then if you look, she still hasn't won a national championship. And that's been her vision from a professional standpoint. But Dawn Staley has. Mm. So has she lived, quote unquote, her dream as well? Mm. Because she has mentored Dawn. So sometimes like the dream is like you have it, but somebody else might birth it. When the championship happened, where were you at? Like when all those things, where were you at? Man, I was at the championship like, game. What you? Why you gonna ask me that question? I was at the championship I mean, game. I know, I'm in the building, like, baby. Yeah, I know well, you was in the building you know, with, the, with, the, with the press pass. Uh, right. But I'm saying when you found out about it, maybe, basically that's maybe rephrase when you found out about it. Yeah. You know, as connected you were to the program, mm-hmm. you know what? How did that make you feel for her and the, the girls on the on the on the team? I was proud of how she handled it. I was proud of how my younger sisters responded to it having the ability to get up and speak on how it made them feel and who they were, right? I was extremely proud. I was in New Jersey, you know, like when certain things happened. But I think the thing, the magnitude of the moment really shocked me. When I picked up Jet Magazine and I saw the Rutgers women's basketball team in there, I was like... Whoa. You no, know, Jet Magazine was that. Jet, Whoa, you used to know, man. Jet Magazine. magazine. Like, Whoa, like, I got that subscription back in the day. Right. <laughs> but I was just proud because, you know, Dave, just shout out Jet Magazine, Chicago. Just one more time. What? Hold on. Bro, go ahead. What was Google the, that. What was, Say something. What was the Jet? Jet Magazine in New week? York is really that? not what that, was that different. The, the, the I, Jet? Just, I don't know why we keep coming to this subject. <laughs> Listen, we're very similar. I think that's the issue. It's like the big brother and the little brother. Who's the big but brother? But we know who the big brother is. Who's the big brother? It's New York, bro. Come on, man. <laughs> it's the Mecca, bro. It's, no, but I will say this. Chicago is much cleaner. We I know. I would say that. We know. <laughs> I would say that, but... Yeah, we we're done with that. that. We're yes. done with that. Yes. So when you come back come back to Rutgers that summer after mm-hmm. the situation with Don Imus, mm-hmm. and you have now have to recruit nationally... And you always hear stories about how certain teams 
uh, coaches, as unfortunate as it is, use certain things against your program. Yes. Mm. Did you ever hear from parents or AAU coaches or high school coaches that coaches were using the Don Iman situation against y'all? Yeah, yes, but at that time, <laughs> who did know it's about Rutgers at that point? Right. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to recruit some kids who probably would not have recruited. Mm. And if that situation I, didn't happen. Yeah, if the situation didn't happen. And I say this because when I think about the totality of who Coach Stringer is and what she embodies, there's a certain kind of kid that she's looking for who understands her, who she can get the most and the best out of. Mm. And I think that in that situation, we also got kids who weren't exactly our fit. Mm. And so sometimes that could take a little moment to like figure out, oh, well, you know what? That probably wasn't the best kid for us, but because the program had national exposure, people knew of Coach Stringer, so she's been nationally, internationally known, mm-hmm. but it's different when the program itself becomes nationally known mm-hmm. and everybody's watching. Mm-hmm. So now people want to come to Rutgers, not for all the right reasons, and mm-hmm. some people just want to come because it's a fad. Mm-hmm. And so I think that to a certain extent, we got a couple players who weren't exactly Rutgers players. Mm. But at the same time, it helped all of us to grow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now that you've been an assistant coach mm-hmm. at Rutgers, now you're on – now you've you've had a couple stops in between. Now you're at Rutgers. Now y'all got McDonald's All-Americans. Mm-hmm. Y'all in the national spotlight. Mm-hmm. You're saying you're getting kids from – that are coming to the program because it's a fad. Yeah. And kids around that time, they're thinking about, oh, I'm going to come play for – your coach or but really I want the gear mm-hmm. I want the life you know yeah. I want the, the the big bright lights so my question too would be what does it look like being a head coach versus being assistant coach but you were at the creme de la creme program yeah I think what's different is that program Rutgers was already established mm-hmm. so my teammates and I we were able to um, re-establish the program mm-hmm. under coach Stringer's leadership a lot of kids don't want to go and start a program. They're like, but my friend, she already over there, and they've won, and it's not going to cost me that much in playing and working hard. The culture is already set. I want the easy path. Mm. You're lucky when you find those exceptional leaders who believe enough in themselves that they're going to blaze the trail and say, hey, everyone else, come follow me. And so... I think when you find those type of kids, you hold on to them for dear life. And so now, speaking as the head women's coach at UIC, I think our current recruiting class is going to be amazing. 2020, because they have their own set of, oh, UIC has never done it before? Mm. Oh, well, you know what? Coach, I believe that you can help us make the magic happen. Mm. And so for me, that makes me feel really, really good. Because when you meet somebody who believes enough in themselves and they can tell someone else, here's why I believe, this is what I believe, mm-hmm. and you need to join my belief, whoo-wee, mm-hmm. those are the people who shake things up. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be around, you want to be around change agents. Mm, like change, change agents. Change y'all listen to that. She dropping like, dives, y'all. Because look. Everyone, if it was so easy, everyone would do it. But the ones that stand out are the ones who do it or get the job done long before it becomes a fad. Mm. But I think it's a lot that comes with that also. It's a lot of, um, you have to have, I feel like, uh, certain things in you to be that. Um, and not everyone is born with that. I don't think, I mean, excuse me, not, I think you have to be. So born do you with think. People are born with that, or do you think that it's a learned behavior? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think it's learned through your own situations that you're put in. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I feel like half it's half and half. It's an uh, almond palmer. Almond uh, <laughs> palmer. Yeah, you know the name. Uh, Is he from New York? I feel like no, it's the situation not. that makes you, but it also has to be in you, and it's brought out of you through the situation. Mm. You know, so I think it's a little I- bit of both. I'm I'm going to have to agree with you. So both my daughters are different. Mm-hmm. But I think my youngest, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> you'll hear think, this one day. Right. <laughs> I think my youngest has it. 
Now, it's a matter of how many situations can we put her in so she can flex the muscle Mm. of that skill. Mm. Like, I think that she is a change agent already. Whatever she and God decides, that's Mm. what she should be doing. But she has the it. She has the ability to influence her little (laughs) preschool friends. But even older, like you can just see it in her. People gravitate to her. Mm -hmm. And so she has leadership all over her. But now it's can she be thrust in enough positions Mm -hmm. and situations where she can build that muscle Mm -hmm. and do it effectively? Because there are some leaders, they're leaders for good or for bad, but they lead somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Somebody follows. But they had to have situations that gave them the confidence Mm -hmm. to lead and to have others follow. And so I think that you got to have change agents and people who believe enough in themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think you got to have the it. Got to be in you. It. It's mm-hmm. it's got to be in that DNA. Yes, yes. The it. I remember you saying something about oftentimes you're the only one in the room. Mm-hmm. And that to me always resonates because being not only a female head coach mm-hmm. in collegiate athletics, but you're also an African-American female coach. Yeah. So when you go into these quote-unquote rooms, and oftentimes you're the only one in there. You're the only one as a female and the only one of color. Yeah. Um, so just talk about uh, to us just some of the things you have to deal with being the quote-unquote only one in the room. Well, my mentor, he was actually Secretary of State. Right. And so okay. um, I think whenever you are in a position where you have the ability to help teach other people about either your culture, your um, – your group, your beliefs, your anything where you make up diversity, you have to speak your piece. You have to say, hey, this is who I am. This is why I stand for what I stand for. You can't be silent in the room because when the majority in the room believes one thing, there's no diversity and the group can't grow. Mm -hmm. So your uniqueness needs to be showcased and not viewed as, oh, we don't really need that. Or that's just a token. So when you come in, you got to come in and be bold enough to say, well, this is what I believe. This is how I feel. And that's not trying to overstep people and overtalk them, but it's to allow them to understand you've never been educated about maybe a person of color, a woman, or how I believe where where I come from, my background. Let me enlighten you. And if I can enlighten you, then you may see from a different lens. But oftentimes when you get someone who is from, say, like a small town, Mm -hmm. they don't know any different. They don't. And they don't mean to carry biases, but we all do. Mm -hmm. So it is my responsibility to make sure that others are aware of, hey, this is how maybe I feel, I think, and these are the reasons why. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have further chat or dialogue about it off air, you know, then we can do that as well. Mm But I'm not going to sit in a room where I'm underrepresented and not represent. Yes, yes. Mm. Got to represent. Underrepresented and not represent. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. You, you, can't, you can't just sit there. You can't just be a face without a voice. I'm just happy to be here. If you're sitting at the table, you got to speak up. You're here mm-hmm. for a reason. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Damn, Coach. You dropped some gems tonight, man. I can see why you, how you uh, got those 18 assists. You know, you've been, you been giving out dimes. dimes in all areas. Dave, I, I feel like, you know, you learn as you grow. Yes. And then I'm always learning. Say, I'm learning from you, Dave. Mm-hmm. I'm learning from you, Everest. I'm learning from our coaching staff. I pick up something different from everyone every day. Literally every day. So you're a human sponge. Yes. And as soon as I... Get your dance. I'm a, I'm a beat Nicole doing it. Coach claims she can't dance, but I don't I believe it. She's from dance. Hey, she's she, step in town yeah, in Chicago. Right, right. She knows she's a step Come in the name on, of love. Come on, man. Step in the name of love. You feel me? Women's basketball seems to be dominated by a lot of male coaches. And I feel like now the tides are turning and more women are being able to have an opportunity to uh, coach the game. Um can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, statistically, 
when uh, the NCAA began for women athletes, NCAA, not AIAW, but NCAA, I think there was like 90-some percent Mm -hmm. that were women coaches. I want to say in the 90s or something like that, where the pay started increasing Mm. for women's basketball coaches, then guys were like, hey, I can earn a living coaching female basketball. Mm -hmm. It was extremely competitive on the men's side. It still is. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of guys are like, hey, I ain't got to compete against Dave. I don't have to compete against Everest. Mm -hmm. Let me go compete against Tasha. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, more women as guys began to dominate the field or just enter into the field, more women began to feel like they didn't have a place to raise their kids. Mm. And so now that has edged out some women who want both. They want the profession and they want a family. And so it has put some people in a a situation where it's like, well, if I got to choose, and most women will always choose family. Always. Guys, not so much. <laughs> Guys are like, nah, let me go get this money, baby. We gotta, we gotta, listen, we listen. gotta get this bag. Listen, listen. If you're still here when I get back, then I, I might the think about, right, right, right. <laughs> you the, I know you, you the, the one, one. right? You the one. I might think about giving you this ring. Yeah, but you then, earned this one, baby. But females are like, man. You, so hear this really closely. Mm-hmm. There are some females who they coach from like 21. 22 to like 30 and it's amazing how they drop out the race at 30 mm. so they drop out because they're like oh i'm on the clock right. my biological clock oh i gotta have, oh, I gotta have yeah i gotta meet mr right mm. some people don't want to just have a kid and point. raise a kid bombs by themselves. Mm. i get that i'm not advocating in for single parenthood mm. that's that's tough but it's really really difficult for a woman because she has to make a decision where a guy he doesn't have to make a decision so think about this. When I leave the office, I still got to be mom. Mm-hmm. I still got to be a wife. So I leave the office from working, and I got to go home. And, and my husband's like, oh, so what we eating? <laughs> I oh, came to the second job. Man. Like, yeah. Forgot then, about that. And then as a mom, you take the emotional weight of the family. And so I'm raising daughters. My daughters, they want to emulate me. Mm-hmm. So the moment I walk in the house, mommy, mommy, mommy. And then they want to tell me about their day because most girls, they talk, right? Mm-hmm. So then I have to listen. I have to be attentive. Work will happen. But at the same time, guys, they get to go home. The food is already cooked. Kid, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Like I, I've had a rough day. He can go sit on the couch because he's the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. But as a female coach... You don't get to go home and sit on the couch. Mm. You got to go home. Look, I take a moment. I decompress, sit in my car for like a minute. And it doesn't matter how I feel. I know that when I walk in that house, my kids expect the best and the most from me. So look, when I go in, oh, I'm going in like, hey, Mm. they say fake it till you make it. And so that's what I do for my kids. But I can't tell you that every woman is willing to do that. So that's why so many women drop out the race, okay. and that's why the number of males are increasing because it's a competitive um, profession, right. and you have to be willing to work long days. You have to have a supportive husband. Shout out to my husband because, like, he, my I man, married, yeah, Qua, I married, what up, Qua? Let's go. yes, I married the right man for me. Yes, where sir. we don't have roles in the home that are traditional. Mm. So if I see the garbage overflowing, I'm going to take the garbage out. Mm-hmm. If he sees the dishes overflowing, he's going to load the dishwasher. If he knows that I'm getting home late from work, he's going to cook a meal. And so we can all break bread. But I promise you, when the season is over, that man does not grace that kitchen <laughs> at all. <laughs> yes, like, hey, there are guys that cook out here. During, yes, during, I got two old staff. Go. Shout out. <laughs> during the season, it's called role acceptance. Yes, Ooh, I like yes. That. I like that, role acceptance. Role acceptance, and he plays his role really, really well. He stars in it. And that allows me to be the best that I can be. Mm. I think if there's one thing that I have to say that I learned um, is that as a female, you want to have a mate that's compatible with you, that it's not about, well, you do this role because you are the male gender. Mm -hmm. My husband is my partner, so we do whatever it takes so that he can continue to thrive in his work and I can thrive in mine. Now, how do you guys make... The traveling, because, you know, as a coach, you travel a lot, whether it's in the 
off season or an in season. How do you uh, balance that in a relationship? Like, is it hard for coaches to to have good relationships while while coaching? Woo, that's the thing that keeps you going. Mm, the relationship, so, the relationship, mm. and having a good balance. So, for my husband, my husband travels um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, for his job, but he's also in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And so he wears multiple hats, but for us, it really is about preparation. Prep. So our season, I actually inserted every game into my calendar, man, in like September. Mm-hmm. So then I gave my husband and I enough time to talk about, hey, who's getting the girls this day? Who's on ballet duty? Who's on, no, seriously, who's on gymnastics duty? You have to figure it out. And then there are times where we're both out of town, but that's where you got to have your village. Mm -hmm. And so for us, I never have working moms guilt about, hey, I have to leave my kids because my kids and my husband knows like this is a part of mommy. And when I return, my energy, when I step in the door, hey, (laughs) because it's the moments Mm -hmm. in life when you're with your spouse or your partner, it's the moments that define a relationship and not just all the time. Because I don't have all the time, but it's the moments when I'm with my husband, he understands it's all me and him. And when I'm with my kids, it's all me and them. Mm -hmm. And when I'm with the team, I would venture to say, like, it's all me with them. Mm -hmm. And so every arena that I'm in, I'm cognizant of having 10 toes down Mm -hmm. and being emotionally and physically there. And so when I leave, I don't have to leave with regrets. And so my working mom's guilt subsided once I became aware of, in terms of like being physically present, emotionally present, mm-hmm. mentally present. Like I'm in the moment. I'm gotcha. with you, with you. And when I'm not, I'll be the first to tell you, like, you, can you repeat that again? Because I didn't process that. Like, let me be all here. And I think most people want to know that you really care. And when you really care, you show them by your actions, by showing up and being there for them. Okay. So what's the horizon for Tasha Pointer? Um, you're a head coach in college. Yeah. You're a successful mother. Yes. You know, you're yes. very successful That's what mother. I try to thrive at. Um, so what's next? What do you, what do you envision you know, five years, two years, you know, whatever. What, what is the next step for you besides, you know, getting the, the EDD and the PhD and all those kind the of things? Step, What's um, the next step for you? Everyone in my office would like for me to go for that boy, that elusive boy. Oh, it's yeah. not going to happen, though. Quab need more testosterone in the house. You know, listen, man, we got to uh, keep the name going. <laughs> right, right, right. Junior! You, you, you know, don't do this, but uh, keep the name going. You know, we're going to keep the name going. I, I think the next step for me is I would love to develop um, – some type of international thing um, around basketball, right? Because that's one of my talents in terms of bringing people together. I think so many of us see our talents and we think locally. Mm. But because I've been able to travel abroad a couple of countries in Africa and my husband being from Ghana, when you go over there, you see that so many people want to have an opportunity to play basketball in the States Mm. to further their education. Well, for me, I think I have enough contacts, resources, but I want to take advantage of my platform and now. Mm. A lot of folks say, let me focus on it later. But why would you focus on helping people later Mm. when you can help people right now and max out? Because later for me um, in life, I want it to be spent more with my daughters and traveling Mm. and my husband, right? Mm -hmm. So why would I wait for later to help people be in a better position? Do it now while I have the platform, the title, and I can continue to teach my own daughters to think and act sometimes from where they are locally, but really have their eyes set on globally. Mm. Because now, with our phones, the way technology is, you're like three to four people away from meeting anybody that you want to know in the world, right? Mm. 
So why would I only teach them to think locally or to just think nationally? I want my kids to see the world as one big playground, mm. and my responsibility is to continue to teach them. So I think that's the next thing for me because a lot of college coaches, we wait until it's too late to think about what our platform and our gift really was. Mm. That does not mean that... I'm not focused on recruiting, right? That doesn't mean I'm not focused on my program and building it up, right? right? But it just means that I get to focus on that and more. Mm. And with UIC being such a, a, a great place for diversity, for international students, why wouldn't I think globally? Mm. And I think it all ties into the human race, the human spirit. Like, we are to be connected. And so I just get to do it while using basketball as a platform. Yes. And, and I'm grateful for that. And I think that's the next thing for me. Um, overall, the, the next step for the program is to make an NCAA tournament and not just rest on the fact most mid-major teams are like, yeah, well, if we just make it to the NCAA, we're going to yes. be great. We feel really good about it. The goal is to have a Cinderella storied oh, mm -hmm. season where we could be like the George Masons and mm. stuff like that. The Butlers, like, hey, make it to the championship game. The Loyola Marymount. Yeah, Loyola right here in Chicago. Like, right. you got to see it. You got to believe it. And you got to be bold enough to say that thing. Mm -hmm. Most people are like, well, I'll just hold on. We're trying to get to the Sweet 16. Right. <laughs> no, the vision for the program is the NCAA tournament. It's never happened in the history of UIC women's basketball. Mm -hmm. But not just making it there. Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final 4, like, let's go get it. Right. Let's go get it because on any given night, any team can be beaten. Mm. Listen, if you got a rough day and I'm having a great day, no one says, oh, you know, Everest had a rough day in the NCAA tournament, and so that's the reason why he didn't advance. No, what they say is, oh, you got beat by such and such. Mm. Well, such and such was the better team <laughs> that day. Right. That's just how it happens, right? Mm -hmm. And so I live life for the, mo for the moments. For the moments. And in the moment, that day, got to be the better team. And that's what I want for us at UIC. Well, Coach, I want to appreciate you for coming on the No Referees podcast. It's been a great, great pleasure for you to be here in studio with me, obviously with Dave. And I'm just so excited that we got a chance to sit down and talk to you about a wide variety of topics. Absolutely. And I'm just so excited about your program, what the future holds, and I'm glad that you was able to come and sit down with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Shout out Chicago. Shout out Texas. Shout out New York. Oh! You know, she's trying to leave us out of there. The big city, baby. <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out. <laughs>